today's scripture reading is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. First John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is God's word. Thanks, Samantha, for reading God's word. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray to the king of the jungle and prepare our hearts to receive his word. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you. You indeed are the king of the universe. And we pray that you might be our king as well. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the living word. And King Jesus, we come and we ask that you would open our hearts to your truth. Help us to respond to you, uh, to love you because you have loved us so amazingly. And Jesus, we, we pray for uh, Pastor Ollie. Father, we thank you for him. Uh, we, we thank you for him and his family. We pray for him and his mom, Juliana. Help them and strengthen them. We pray that you would encourage them as they care for uh, Ollie's brother, Benjamin. We pray that you would give them strength and wisdom. And we pray for Benjamin as well, that he would be encouraged and strengthened in you. Uh, so Jesus, we, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would open our hearts to your truth. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Uh, given it's Children's Day, it's very appropriate that we think about the topic of children this morning. And this was not planned beforehand. It just happened that we are here in this text in uh, 1 John. We find ourselves thinking about children from this text. So we're going to think today about you know, who are the children of God? Right? Who, how do we tell if someone is a true child of God? Just to do a quick recap, so far in, the, in 1 John, we've seen that John lists several characteristics that distinguish uh, a true child of God. And, and John has highlighted some of these characteristics for us as we've gone through his letter. Uh, one, God's children obey God. The characteristic of obedience, God's children love one another, love. 
God's children believe God's truth. This is how we tell if someone is a true child of God. And here in this passage, John kind of circles round again, and then we find ourselves thinking again about the, the mark of obedience, you know, how God's children obey Him. And really, if you're looking at this passage, uh, the, the, the key verse in this passage that summarizes the main idea of this passage is verse 10, which says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So really, the, the main idea in our text for this morning is, is this. God's children practice righteousness. God's children practice righteousness. So we're going to spend the rest of this morning just thinking about, you know, why is this so? You know, why is it so that God's children practice righteousness? Why, why, why does the mark of righteousness uh, distinguish us as children of God? So we're going to think about it in, in three points this morning. If you look at your ministry guide, you only have two, uh, so you get a free point at the end, the third point. Uh, so let's, let's dive into the text together. Number one, God's children practice righteousness because of who they are. Right, looking at verse, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. You know, we, we understand this principle, right? That children will tend to look like their parents. Right? They, they, we, we resemble our parents. And in the same way, God's children will resemble God, the, the Heavenly Father. So what is God like? You know, what, what, what are some of the distinguishing characteristics of God? So verse 29 tells us that God is righteous. He's righteous. So it makes sense that His children will resemble Him in practicing righteousness. Now, now what does it mean to practice righteousness? You know, the word that practice is, is present tense. So it tells us that this is an ongoing lifestyle, that we don't just practice righteousness once when we first become a Christian, but we ongoing, in an ongoing way, practice righteousness. In the present tense. And righteousness is not just external conformity to some set of religious rules or morality. And righteousness is not just not doing really bad stuff, but righteousness goes deeper than that. To practice righteousness means to obey God from the heart. To practice righteousness involves not just external obedience, but it involves a true transformation of life, a, a true change of heart, so that from the heart, we begin to reflect God's character, no, His righteous character. No, we, we resemble our Father. If He's like this, we, we look like Him. Right? What do we look like? Things like His, His holiness, His goodness, His mercy, his justice. So, so to practice righteousness could be, for example, pursuing holiness. You know, we're putting off sin and, and we are seeking to obey God, to, to listen to His Word, to, to love His Word and, and to begin to shape our lives around His Word because that's what it looks like to be righteous and holy. Practicing righteousness could mean uh, doing good to others, kind of spending our time giving our resources to help someone, to help someone practically. Uh, 
doing things that maybe they are unable to do, but we want to do good to them because we're reflecting the goodness of God, His righteous character. Practicing righteousness means showing mercy. Right? Showing mercy to those who require mercy, forgiving others. Showing mercy to those who are helpless, who, who need support. I mean, that's how we reflect God's righteous character. Showing, practicing righteousness could mean also upholding justice in our workplaces. Right? You know, we, we work in the world and we know that the workplaces in the world are often characterized by injustice, by dishonest practices, by unethical uh, gain. But practicing righteousness in the world means that we uphold justice, we do the right thing because it pleases God, even if it costs us. But, but we want to reflect His righteous character. Right, so these are just some examples of what it means to, to practice righteousness, to reflect God's righteous character in our lives. Now, you've got to think, how, how are we able to live in this way? You know, how are we able to resemble God in this way? You know, verse 29 is really, really important. So I want us to pay careful attention to the order of verse 29. Look at that phrase, has been born of him. Well, what, what tense is that? It's in the past tense. Has been born of him. Whereas practice righteousness is in the present tense. So verse 29 tells us which comes first. Has been born of him. Has to come first before practicing Righteousness. So, so we don't practice righteousness in order to be born of God, but we practice righteousness because we have been, past tense, born of God. You know, we, we, hands up, you know, which, which among us caused ourselves to be born? Who, who among us caused ourselves to be born? Hands up. Okay, yep, no one. So you understood the question. <laughs> so no, not, none of us were able to kind of give ourselves birth, I mean, physical birth. And in the same way, it's true in, in spiritual birth as well, that none of us can give ourselves this new birth that verse 29 talks about. You know, the Gospel of John says the children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born completely of God. So this tells us we, we can't take credit for being children of God. No, it's, not, it's not because we were righteous, that's why we became God's children. No, this, ver this verse tells us that it is all of God's grace. He is the one who gave us new birth. He, he is the one who gave us new life. He is the one who gave us new hearts to love Him as his children. And, and, and this new birth, this adoption, to, to use a different phrase, this adoption that God gives us changes us. Now, can we have the next slide? Okay, this, these are friends of ours. Uh, this is uh, Vong and Polian. No, Vong, Vong's the guy. Polian is uh, the woman sitting next to him. And, and the little boy you see in between them his name is uh, Lucas. So Lucas is a special needs child. And Lucas was born without ears. 
And, and he obviously needs special care because of that. So Lucas was actually featured in a, a Channel News Asia documentary. I think it's called Real Asia or something. And, and Lucas used to live in an orphanage in China. Uh, we don't know where his parents are, but, but he's been living there for quite a while. Lucas is, I think, eight, eight or nine years old. So he's about Zachary's age, our older son. So Wong and, Wong and Polian have three teenage children, I think 16, 17, and 18. And they, they're watching this Channel News Asia documentary that featured Lucas, or, or Ke Yuan, that, that's his Mandarin name. And after watching the documentary, Vong and Polian, they, 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 their, heart were, their hearts were moved by the documentary. So they began to make inquiries. They began to find out, okay, how can we adopt Lucas as our own child? So, so it was a long process, it took, it took more than a year, but, but they began to make inquiries and through quite a long period of you know, paperwork and everything, they finally managed to adopt Lucas as their own son. And this happened earlier this year. So, so we, had a, we had a pleasure of meeting uh, Lucas just some months ago and he's a really, really sweet, lively boy. Uh, why, why do I talk about Vong, Polian and Lucas? You can imagine for, for Lucas, who, who grew up in an orphanage, and now he has family. He has two parents who love him, who, who, who will now raise him to, to, to hopefully know Jesus and, and follow him. You know, Lucas's life has been completely transformed because of his adoption. Right? I mean, for, for someone to go from being an orphan to the loving embrace of two lovely parents. I mean, his, his life has been changed, literally turned upside down because of Wong and Polian's adoption. When we are born of God, when God sets His love on us, He changes us. You know, this is just in, in the human realm. You can imagine how profound this change is when God adopts us, when He changes us. You know, human adoption is just a, a very faint picture of, of the amazing change that God works in us when He calls us as His children, when He intentionally sets His love on us. You know, when we are born of God, He, he powerfully works in us by His Spirit to transform us from the inside out. He doesn't just change our external environment, but He changes us from the inside out. Verse 9 uses a very interesting phrase to describe that. You know, God's seed abides in us. You know, that's a very, very personal, intimate term. You know, the, the word seed in, in the Greek word is where we get our word sperm. I mean, that, that's how personal and intimate that term is used in verse 9. God plants His seed in us when He makes us His children. And what is this seed? This, this seed is, is the new nature that God gives us. This seed is the new heart that God gives to us, the, the heart that begins to love Him, the, the heart that begins to reflect who He is. Because He's kind of planted, you know, to, to use a human analogy, it's like God planting His DNA in us, so that we begin to look more and more like Him. God changes who we are. 
and therefore we practice righteousness because we belong to Him. You know, without God's grace, we cannot practice righteousness. You know, we must abide in Christ. Verse, verse 28, you know, abide in Christ. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is why when we think about practicing righteousness, it is impossible to practice righteousness and to be proud. It's impossible to, be, to practice righteousness and to be self-righteous. Because a truly righteous person understands that the only way for us to practice righteousness is by the grace of God. A, a truly righteous person, someone who's truly practicing righteousness, will also be marked by true humility and true thankfulness. You know, and and this, this humility and thankfulness, they, they flow out from resting in God's love, resting in the love of God. You know, I, I think many of us find it hard to rest in the love of God. You know, we, we, we live in a meritocratic, performance-driven culture. You know, every day, we are assessing our own performance. Every day, we are assessing the performance of the people around us, in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces. This, this is the culture that we live in. And like it or not, whether we are conscious of it or not, we, we import these values into our Christianity. Right? We, we begin to assess our Christian lives. We, we begin to assess how loved we are based on our performance. I did my quiet time today. I think God loves me. <laughs> oh, I didn't do my quiet time today. Oh, maybe God doesn't love me as much. No, we begin to assess the, the, the Christians around us by, by how well they perform. Right? God loves you because you're a good Christian, you know, because you're really serving. You know, and, and because of this, some, sometimes the Christian life can feel to us like a, a, a performance treadmill. Now, the idea of resting in God's love seems very foreign to us. You know, we keep running on this treadmill. Why? Because we, we feel that we keep having to perform. We have to keep assessing ourselves, making sure that we live up to our own expectations of performance. That's why we need to hear what John says in, verse, in, in chapter 3, verse 1. You know, what's the first word that he uses? Not do, right? See. You know, as I was reflecting on this text, it reminded me of what, of, what Moses, of what God told Moses and Israel at the Red Sea as they were standing at the Red Sea, getting ready to cross the Red Sea. You know, what, what does God say to Moses? Be still and not cross, but be still and see the salvation of God. How many of us do that? See, see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. You know, see is a command to look and behold God's amazing salvation. See that He has made us His children. 
You know, one, one commentator wrote these very helpful words. I mean, he said, we need to stop our busy Christian lives from time to time to assess how much of our activity is an expression of love for the Lord who loves us and how much of our activity really comes from being driven along by a desire to impress or by group pressures. And then he, this, this, this writer says this really, really helpful sentence at the end. He says, what matters most is not what we do, but who we are and who we belong to. And I, th- I think as parents, we understand this. I think if we are trying to be loving parents to our children, we know ultimately what, what secures our love for them is not what they do, but it's because who they are. Right? I, I love Zachary and Ian not because they do well in exams, not because they obey, not, not because they are such you know, lovely children, but, but I love them. Claire and I love them because of who they are. They are our children and, and they belong to us. How much more so for our loving Heavenly Father? You know, what, what kind, that phrase, what kind of love, literally means a love that is out of this world. You know, that's what it means. A love that's foreign. A love that's alien to our experience. It, it's out of this world. We, we are God's children because He has freely chose to set this out-of-this-world love on undeserving sinners like us. You know, as we read, as we read verse 1, you know, we, should, we should emphasize the we, right? You know, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, we of all people, should be called children of God. You know, not, not only were we helpless orphans, but we were active rebels against Him. You know, it's like, it's like God coming, hey, I want to set my love on you, and we said, no, thank you. You know, that's who we were. Active rebels against God. You know, as we lived without God, we did not know Him, nor did we want to know Him. We, we lived for ourselves. Yet, God loved us and sent His Son to save us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. We, you know, we, not just individually a child, but we together are God's children. He's brought us together as one family and we belong together. Fellow members of Grace Baptist Church, do we regard one another as God's beloved? No, when, when, when you look at the person next to you, do you, do you see oh, you are beloved by God? You know, think about it. If, if God has loved this person or that person, then how can we not also love them? You know, think, think, about, think about someone in a church. Maybe, maybe someone in a church you've had a difficult relationship with. You know, someone in a church, maybe you have difficulty loving. You know, is, is there someone or some people who come to your mind? And then think about, think about chapter 3, verse 1. You know, what, what kind of love God has loved us with? If, if God has loved us, then he loves that difficult person as well. He loves those difficult people in your lives. You know, the one that we try to avoid on Sundays, yes, God loves them too. He loves them more than we could ever love them. And the fact God has made us his beloved children should transform 
how we relate to one another. You know, recently I've been very encouraged by, I've been hearing stories of, of some among us who've taken steps towards reconciling broken relationships. You know, and that really encourages me and encourages the rest of the elders as we hear of these really powerful stories of God's love being practiced, practicing righteousness as we seek to be reconciled to one another. You know, our, our unity and our fellowship with one another is especially important because as Jesus said, we, we're not, we don't belong to the world. We have no true community in the world. And, and therefore, this community of God's people becomes even more crucial. And we need one another for real community and encouragement. You know, practicing righteousness will make us look increasingly strange to the surrounding culture. As John tells us in this passage, the world does not know us because it did not know Jesus. Right? It says that in, uh, chap- in chapter in verse 1. You know, what, what does the culture look like? You know, Singaporeans are fundamentally pragmatic, right? We, we value what works. We value what brings in more money, more success, more comfort, more convenience. And our hearts are, are, are drawn to this. So that's what the culture looks like. Do we look more like our culture or more like Jesus? You know, think about this. If, if a non-Christian observes our life, looks at how we live, Right. Maybe looks at the way we spend our time during the week, the way our relationships are carried out. What will they see? Will they find anything strange about our life? And remember what John says, you know, the world does not know us. The world should find our lives strange. You know, think about our priorities, our ambitions, our goals. Think about our values, our, our ethical standards, our, our moral standards. Think about how we treat other people, how we do our jobs, how we raise our children, how, how we relate to our spouses, who we choose to date, how we use our time, our energy, our money. You know, if, if, if the world looks at all these things about our life, will they find it strange? Will they find it strange? Or, or will they look at our life and say, hey, you look just like us? Does the world know us? Or does the world not know us? You know, how we live as God's children is not supposed to make sense to the world. And as the moral norms of society change, you know, so will the laws of society. And we've, we will feel lost if we are looking to this world for our sense of identity and belonging. But the good news is that we, we don't have to find our sense of identity and belonging in this world. The, the gospel, this passage tells us, gives us a new identity as God's children. And, and this identity will never change. The world may not know us, but like John says, God knows us. And God loves us. And then we, we can afford to live differently from the world because we are secure in our identity as God's beloved children. So we practice righteousness because of who we are. 
Second point, God's children practice righteousness because of what Jesus will do. In the rest of our passage, the, the focus shifts from the Father to the Son, Jesus Christ. And His first and second coming really frame verses 2 to 10 in chapter 3. If you look at verses 2 and 3, John mentions how the second coming of Christ will affect how we live now. God's children practice righteousness because of what Jesus will do when He returns. Now, we all know that practicing righteousness in the fallen world is tough. It will make us look strange. It will make us look more and more foreign to the world. And, and we also wrestle with our old sinful nature. And as we practice righteousness, it's so easy to lose heart because we can become discouraged. You know, it seems easier to just live like the world. But John encourages us to persevere in practicing righteousness by looking at the hope that we have in Christ. And in the Bible, hope doesn't mean wishful thinking, but, but hope is this certain, confident expectation that God will keep His word to do all that He has promised. And John tells us that our adoption as God's children is both now as well as not yet. We, we enjoy the blessings of being a child of God now, but we also look forward to an even more glorious future. We've not yet received the fullness of our adoption. John tells us what we will be has not yet appeared. Right? That, 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 that's, that's more in store. We're like a child who's an heir to vast riches. You know, we enjoy being a child now, but one day when we mature, when we grow up, we will then receive the full inheritance. We're a child now, but we've not yet received that full inheritance. And what is that inheritance that God has promised His children? John says, when, when Jesus appears, we shall see Jesus as He is in all of His majesty and awesome glory. And, and you know, the remarkable thing is when, when we see Jesus, John says, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. He's glorious. We shall be like Him. We will also share in His glory. You know, the best is yet to be. We have a glorious future in store for us. So, so John says, don't, don't live like the world. Don't, don't live as though this world is all that there is. We have a hope of what Jesus will do when He returns. And, and John says this to us to, to help us to think about our own lives. Right? Where do we place our hopes? What are, what are we hoping in now? Where do we place our hopes? You know, it's, it's, it's what it says in verse 2, our hope. We shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him. Is, is that our hope? Is that what gets us out of bed every morning, trusting and rejoicing that we have a loving Heavenly Father? You know, this, this is the only hope that can sustain us in life and death. This hope in Christ that will never let us down. And, and John says this, this hope inspires action. This hope inspires action. It, it, it moves us to, to love Jesus now and to live for Him now. 
This hope encourages us to not give up, but to continue practicing righteousness even if it costs us. Because we know that we have this sure hope of being like Jesus when He returns. No, when, when, when God makes us His own, He changes our life, and, and from that point on, every day of our life is preparation for the day that we meet Jesus face to face. Do, do we realize this about our lives? That, that our lives are preparation for the day we meet Jesus. Every day is a preparation for the day we meet Jesus. And that's, that's where we're headed. So, that's how we live now, show that we are headed for that destination. Finally, third point, God's children practice righteousness because of what Jesus has done. So, we've, we've, looked, we're looking, we've looked forward to what He will do when He returns. Now, John helps us to see what Jesus has done in verses 4 to 9. So not only do we look forward to what Jesus will do, we, we look back to what Jesus has done. And John says in verse 5, He appeared to take away sins. So sin is serious. You know, it's not just a matter of breaking God's law. John tells us uh, in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. You know, sin is a rejection of God Himself. Sin, sin is a, a lawless rejection of the lawgiver. God. Now, sin is saying to God that, hey, we want to be in charge of our own lives. That you know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want you to tell us how we should or should not be living, but you know, we want to kind of be a law unto ourselves to do what we think is right and best for us. So sin is lawlessness. And God takes sin seriously. And verse 5 tells us God takes sin seriously. He can't just sweep sin under the carpet can't just close his eyes to our sin, but he sends his son, his beloved son, to deal with sin. And God is righteous. He cannot let sin go unpunished. And the good news of the gospel is that we have a righteous, as we've heard, we have a righteous advocate who represents us and stands in our place before God. And, and this advocate, Jesus, he takes on himself the full weight of God's judgment against our lawlessness he turns aside from us God's wrath so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be washed, made right, and adopted as God's beloved children. And this, is what, this is what John says in verse 5. Jesus has appeared in order to take away sin. And He's done so by His life, death, and resurrection. Now John tells us in this passage that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil opposes God and he wants us to do the same. So whoever makes a practice of sinning, John says, belongs to the devil. You notice that this passage is very black and white. There's no grey area, there's no neutral, I'm sitting on a fence area in this passage. If we practice righteousness, we show that we belong to God. If we don't practice righteousness, John says we belong to the devil. Why? Because we, we do what the devil has been doing from the beginning, which is to oppose God and to sin against Him. And John says, Jesus has come. And Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. 
Now, the, the word destroy literally means set free. Jesus has come to, to set free. Jesus has come to break the power of sin in our lives, to, to set us free from our slavery to sin, to set us free from the, the bonds of sin that hold our heart captive. And Jesus has set us free in order to live for God, to practice righteousness. And we're able to practice righteousness because Jesus has given us this freedom as His children. Now, does this mean that the children of God are perfectly sinless? Does this mean that we don't ever have to struggle with sin anymore? If you look at verses 6 and 9, they could give us that impression. Verses 6 and 9, they say things like, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He cannot keep on sinning. Now, does this mean that, okay, then we're supposed to be perfect, we don't sin anymore? Now, I don't think this is the case because in, in chapter 1, John has already said in chapter 1 verse 9 that walking in the light means confessing and repenting of our sins. Now, if, if, we, if we were perfect, if, if we had no sin, then why would John encourage us to re- confess and repent in chapter 1 verse 9? So, so John doesn't mean that, we, that, we're, that, that the children of God are sinless. He doesn't mean that. But what, does he, what, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says the children of God, a child of God cannot keep on sinning? Maybe a, an illustration might help to explain this. You know, I think many of us have, have, gone, have gone on road trips before. You know, we go on holiday, we do a road trip, we get into the car, we start driving. Uh, well, actually, not, not immediately, but we check where we're going first. So we, we know where we're going with a destination in mind. We, we set Google Maps on our phone or, or find a map or whatever, but, but you know you have a destination in mind, and then you start driving to that destination. And as you drive, sometimes you, take a, you make a wrong turn. Right? You, you, you go right instead of left. You take wrong turns along the way. But what do you do when you make a wrong turn? Do you keep driving? Do you keep on driving in that wrong direction? No, you don't. You, you, you realize that you've made a wrong turn. You check the map. You find your way back. Right? The, the map kind of guides you back to the right way again. You correct that wrong turn. You make a U-turn if necessary. And you continue driving towards your destination. I think that's what John is getting at. This is what it means to be a child of God. Our Christian life is like that drive, right? And and our destination is holiness. Our destination is to be like Jesus. That's the destination. And and as we start on that drive, we make wrong turns, right? We we struggle with sin. We stumble and fall. We get discouraged. Maybe we lose our way. Sometimes we lose our way for a while. But we always turn back. God, God always calls us back. Because His seed abides in us. God, God, the loving Father, cannot let His child go on further and further away from Him. But God will call us back. He, he says, hey, go refer to the map, which is His Word. And, and His Word turns us back to the right way. You know, we, 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 
when God calls us back, we realize that we're headed in the wrong direction, we make a U-turn, which is really confession and repentance. And then we keep driving in the right direction. That, that's, what the, that's what the life of a child of God looks like. Right? We make wrong turns, but we turn back again and again and again because we, we are headed for the destination of Christ. That's where we're headed. A true child of God will repent and will not keep on sinning. A true child of God will not keep driving in the wrong direction, despite numerous attempts to call him to turn back. A true child of God will repent and turn back. However long it takes, however painful that process of U-turn might be, a true child of God will always turn back. But if we're not God's children, then we'll be headed in a completely different direction. If, if we're not children of God, then the destination is not Christ. The destination is ourselves. And, and we will be driving in a completely different direction. We will be looking at the map and saying, how can I organize my life to serve myself best? And all the decisions that I make along the way will be for myself. And I, and I won't be headed towards Christ. I'll be headed further and further away from Him. This is what it means to keep on sinning. It's present tense. It means my ongoing lifestyle, that the way I live my life, leads me further and further and further away from Jesus. Why? Because, because Jesus is not my destination. I, I will keep on sinning because I think that sin gives me what I want. Sin gives me comfort and convenience. Sin gives me security. Sin gives me recognition in this world. Sin gives me success. Sin gives me power and influence. Sin allows me to boast of my own wisdom and intelligence. Sin gives me pleasure, whatever that pleasure looks, looks like. And I will keep on sinning because the direction of my life, where I'm driving towards, is not towards Christ. So John says this is how we can tell whether someone is a child of God or a child of the devil. You look at the direction they're driving in. You look at where they're headed. To Christ or to something else. So which, which direction are we going? Friends, which, which direction is our life headed in? You know, regardless of how many wrong turns you've made, regardless of how far you feel from the destination of Christ, John says that there's always a way back through Jesus Christ. He has appeared in order to take away sins. He has appeared in, in order to be our advocate to turn aside the wrath of God from us. Friends, if you know you're headed in the wrong direction, you can turn back. You can turn back. Not, not because you are a good person, but you can turn back because Jesus enables you to turn back. Jesus enables you to make that U-turn and to head towards Him. 
Guaranteed. There is power in His blood to wash us clean and to bring us back to God. So friend, turn, turn back to Him. Turn back to Him. Stop, stop, stop driving in the opposite direction. Turn back to Him. You know, are we children of God? If so, then we cannot keep on sinning. John says, don't, don't let anyone deceive you. And certainly don't deceive yourselves. We can't keep on sinning and think that we are okay. God is light. And we cannot be His children while we continue to walk in the darkness of our sin. If we are God's children, then He will call us back. And He wants us to call each other to turn away from sin as well. Remember, we together are His children. I think that's why Hebrews 3 says these words to us. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you do know someone who's driving in the wrong direction. You might want to take a moment to pray for them and to call them, hey, you turn, come back. Are you headed in the wrong direction? Are you willing to kind of invite someone into your life to encourage you to turn back? Are you willing to open your heart to this person and to hear them as they speak words of truth into your life, exhorting you to turn back? A true child of God is not sinless, but he or she will keep turning back to God. If we are God's children, then we will practice righteousness because of who we are as God's beloved children. If we are God's children, then we will practice righteousness because of what Jesus will do. We will see Him face to face. And, and on that glorious day, we will be like Him. Amazing. You know, that, that's, that's where we're headed if we are God's children and we will practice righteousness in the meantime until we get there. If we are God's children, then we will practice righteousness because of what Jesus has already done. He has come to take away sin. He has come to give us new life. He has come to wash us clean, to break the power of sin in our lives so that we can follow Him. We start heading to a new direction, a new destination, and we can live for Him because of what He's done. Friends, are we children of God? Are we children of God? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you. Father, we, we see your amazing love that we should be called your children. And Father, this love that you have lavished upon us so generously, so sacrificially, this love humbles us. This love breaks our pride. This love undermines our performance-driven self-righteousness. And this love lays us bare and exposed before you. 
Father, we, we bring nothing to the table. You, you did not adopt us because we were so attractive to you. But we come to you empty-handed. And, and you have set your love upon us simply because you love us. So Father, we pray now that you would help us to reflect deep in our hearts on how amazing your adoption of us is. Father, some of us need to rest in your love more. Remind us, Father, that we are accepted by you not on the basis of how well we live, but we are completely accepted by you simply because we are your beloved, that we are your children. So, Father, for some of us, we pray that your Spirit would reveal your love to us in greater measure so that we would rest in your love. Father, for some of us, we are struggling in our practice of righteousness. We, we stumble and fall. We lose our way. We, we feel discouraged and we feel that we, it's easier to look more like the world than, than like you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us in Christ. Help us to know that the hope that we have in Him is an unshakable hope and we can trust Him. So, Father, as we come to you, we pray that you help us to trust in Jesus, to know that He will return and that when He returns, we will be like Him. And this is a guarantee. So help us not to lose heart, but to continue heading towards that eternal destination. Father, some of us are complacent in our sin. We've turned, we've made wrong turns, and we, perhaps we don't even realize. Or perhaps we know that we've turned into a wrong way and, and we, we still want to head in the wrong direction. Oh, Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts of sin. Father, help us to very soberly realize that we, we cannot be your child and, and yet still head in the wrong direction further and further away from you. Father, even as you cry out to us with your pleading voice, turn back. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to your word that we would turn back. May our hearts be soft to your pleading voice. Turn us back, Father. Turn us back. Dear Father, we thank you for your amazing adopting love. So as we come, we pray that your amazing love would move us to live for you to glorify you. Father, change our hearts more and more. Help us to become more and more like your Son. Help us to practice righteousness because you, our Father, are righteous. We ask this for Jesus' sake, by his power. Amen. Amen. Let us rise as we sing.